people. Welcome back to the podcast and our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I am Bella, your host, and today we are continuing our new series called Nature Positive, which is sponsored by Sustainable Cayman. Each month, we have been talking with a new guest on a different subject relating to a move towards nature positivity. Last month, we met with Lisa Hurlston McKenzie to get the 101 on climate change. And you have to make sure you go and check that one out over on our YouTube and our podcasts. This month, we are sitting down with Senior Policy Advisor for the Portfolio of Agriculture, Mr. Des Moines Nash, and Planning and Environmental Lawyer, Miss Anna Russell-Nee. So good afternoon. What is it? Afternoon? It is afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. Sorry about my voice. I'm <laughs> like a bit of a grouch today. Um, but thank you for coming in and talking to us. How are you both doing? Pleasant afternoon, Bella. I'm doing well. Thank you for the invite. Good. I'm also doing well. Thank you for having us both. Good. Awesome. Wonderful. So you guys are both two people with a lot of experience in a lot of different things from very different places, which I love, but coming together to talk about the subject of food and farming kind of here came in. So I want to get to know you a bit better other than what I've read online. So let's start, ladies first, um, with you, Anna. You are a planning and environmental lawyer. You're an executive at Sustainable Cayman, right? And an educate you have an educational background in concepts from sustainable development, along with ecology and wildlife conservation. What has drawn you into this line of work? Why are you so passionate about the environment? Hi, so yes, I am an environmental, planning and environmental lawyer. I'm English qualified. I'm a solicitor, mm. um, coming up to 13 years qualified now, so sort of mid-level. And yes, I specialised in planning and environmental law a number of years ago. And yeah, it's always been a passion for me. Not not the law side of it. Obviously, as a child, you don't <laughs> have a passion for the law. It is. <laughs> yeah. But as a child, I've always loved nature. I grew up in the countryside in a tiny village um, outside of a town in the UK. So um, the little village was called Roxwell. Shout out to Roxwell. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a beautiful little village in the middle of nowhere. And um, I was very, very close to nature. So I think appreciating that from a young age has sort of developed my interest in the area and led my sort of yeah led me down this sort of career path um but I've also always loved animals um lifelong vegetarian Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. in the last couple of years I've become fully Mm plant-based so Mm -hmm. I felt that um yeah I mean we can talk about that Mm -hmm. um if if you want to a bit later but um yeah just I felt that I in in my line of work I just could no longer support the industries that I was well, hey, it's all Taking about food court. and farming and where your meals are coming from, right? Sure. That's a big part sure. of the conversation of agriculture, really. Honestly. I think so. And yeah. I think with the interest in, um, in nature and the environment and animals and climate change and the environment and sustainability mm-hmm. and general health, mm-hmm. honestly. So, um, yeah, all of those sort of coincided and has led me down this path. I'm also, as you say, an executive officer for Sustainable Cayman, mm-hmm. which is a charity on Ireland uh, focusing on sustainability and environmental awareness, biodiversity, all those great things. Um, yeah, I also do a lot of other charity work as well. I'm a director of Kiwanis um, oh, and I help out awesome. the Crisis Centre occasionally. Um, so yeah, very busy, but do a few courses. <laughs> you're a person of the world, is what it sounds like. Aww. Helping humans and planet. That's like. very kind. But, and as you said, I've done a couple of courses, sustainable development mm-hmm. and ecology and wildlife conservation. So um, all of it ties together and I feel like I'm on the right path. I love that. Yeah. No, it seems it that way. For sure. <laughs> well, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Now, Des Moines, so you are Senior Policy Advisor at the Ministry of, oh, they see it has a bunch of different Planning, things. agriculture, housing, infrastructure. That's the one. <laughs> you are the Senior Advisor of the Portfolio for Agriculture, right? And you're originally from Jamaica. Yes, I am. Okay, so among other things, like being a, also a published author, I saw that. I'm going to have to read your <laughs> book, sir. That looks very interesting. It's called, again... Well, it's two books, Overcoming Our Giants, and the other one is Failure is Not Final. Dang, that's pretty cool. Okay, cool. Well, apart from all of that, you find yourself advising the ministry. Um, has this always been a passion for you? How did you fall into this? Well, agriculture has always been my passion. I went to an agricultural um, university. Mm-hmm. I studied general agriculture, mm. agriculture production and food systems management. And after that, I did my master's in science education. I've done work in urban ecology and forestry in general. Um, I did a stint at um, Beijing Forestry University where I looked at particularly the growing of bamboo as mm-hmm. a forest type and um, urban ecology practicing in New York and Chicago looking at the context of how do we build out this space with greenery in a strategic mm-hmm. manner. 
So I would say that I'm blessed to be in the field mm -hmm. from a child growing up on a subsistent farm. Mm. So I've always seen the practice and appreciate it. And studying has brought great appreciation. That's incredible. That's that's a lot. <laughs> you're the perfect person to be advising on these things, it sounds like. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm privileged. Yeah, okay, you're the, yes, yeah. Because yes, yes. we have a beautiful island here and beautiful history of agriculture, right? So let's start with Anna. What do you think? think some of the effects on nature nature are that you would like to see reduced from farming so the effects of farming on nature that you'd like to see reduced what are what are some sure so um so generally speaking mm -hmm. um, intensive agriculture industrial sort of sized farming but of course we don't have that in the cayman islands mm. so generally speaking i mean the the bigger the more intensive the you know, generally more harmful to nature right. and the environment yeah. and, and, the, and climate change. Mm. Um, but of course, in the Cayman Islands, it's, it's slightly different. So perhaps we could talk about that, okay. I don't know, later. But, um, but in, in, in general, certainly the intensive uh, monocropping that we see, monoculture, mm -hmm. um, the less diverse, the less, you know, the more harmful it is mm -hmm. on, on the environment. We want to see more biodiversity okay. and less monoculture and more polyculture, which means um, not just growing one crop in one place all the time that's high risk it's mm -hmm. high yield while it works mm -hmm. um, but i think you know with the overuse of fertilizers synthetic fertilizers specifically mm -hmm. um, overuse of fertilizers pesticides herbicides um, they're they're damaging to, not just to the soils but to the air because it mm -hmm. causes air pollution and water pollution the mm. leachate that runs into the the water systems um, and then ends up in the sea so mm -hmm. that has all different consequences. The sargus and bloom being one, mm -hmm. um, right? Fueled yeah. by overuse of fertilizers. I mean, fertilizers are great for you know since the green revolution they were overused, but um, mm -hmm. but you know I think we need to we definitely need to cut down on the use of particularly synthetic fertilizers. Interesting. Um, and there are different ways of getting nitrogen back into the soil without using mm -hmm. chemicals and synthetic inorganic products. Are these the kind of things that we are using here right now? I don't know, Demo, if you know the answer to that or. Well, um, as, as she mentioned, that agriculture is not done at a large commercial intensive level that you'd see the kind of usage that would bring about the kind of effects general what you'd see in you know larger territories. So we don't have that really here, the need for it either, right? But we, what we need is for sustainable agriculture, sustainable ah. farming, where you're not just having production, you're not just going for profit, but there's environmental stewardship where the care for the environment and from a ministry level, there are things that we are doing to ensure that that is done. For example, ensuring that the light, right legislation is there. For example, we know that there are use of pesticide mm. and we have been without a pesticide regulation um, for some time. So there is um, the development now of Pesticide Control and Regulation Act, which we should see in, 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 in not long from now because it's a bill that is actively being worked on. Wonderful. And and something that is being championed by the Honourable Minister Joanne Banks, so we are seeing that we are we are looking at the practice of livestock farming, mm -hmm. and one of the things we are doing is developing a new livestock development plan mm -hmm. that will see the production of livestock and products from livestock um, done in such a way that we are not harming the environment while we are trying to make profit, but is done in such a manner that the environment and ecology is protected at all levels. Mm. And how can we use um, native crops, you know, crops that are grown here over, over a period of time that have adapted to the environment and the condition here that we don't have to be using large amount of fertilizers, etc. Mm -hmm. And pesticides, you know, at high toxicity level. How can we, as you said, break the culture of monocropping, which is not necessarily the case here. Because what we have is mostly backyard um, gardens mm -hmm. or backyard farming, mm -hmm. um, few mid-sized farm, and, and, and the farmers here, what they do is plant a different type of a mix of crops. Mm. You find few um, straight farms, what you say straight farms, you mean whether it is a straight crop farm or a straight livestock farm. There's integrated farming systems. So we have that. Huh? Yes, we have that here. Wonderful. Mm. Wonderful. <clears throat> and how can we use farming as a driver in the recovery of nature? I know it's kind of a weird question, but maybe we have biodiversity loss happening all the time here, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a way that maybe, this is in my, uh, literally just an idea, mm -hmm. I just came up with it. Like, are we able <laughs> to integrate that and somehow recover like our nature that way? 
it, yes, we can, and it is it is practicing sustainable agriculture, no. sustainable farming. How do we disturb less of nature? Um, well, we don't have high levels of tillage that will dis disrupt the soil, you know, disrupt the soil structure, etc. Tillage. Yeah. So using arrows up. and you ah. know plows, we don't have those large contiguous space of land where we can send a tractor for, for acres. Right. We don't have that. We don't have that. So yeah. we have small pockets of red moles and. Um, with that, you get mini, mini, minimal tillage. But what, what we ought to encourage, even though that's not the case, is cover cropping, not leaving the soil bared and disturbed mm. um, because what you have is erosion and runoff and, mm. and the good beneficial bacteria you want to encourage, mm. which will um, cause breakdown um, and have the soil to absorb nitrogen in the form that it does in nitric oxide. That um, it, it can, but if you just till and till the soil and leave it bare, then you have, you have an issue. Mm -hmm. But we're, what we are seeing, one of the biggest effects, I think, is the, the, the use of pesticide. Mm -hmm. And that can bring long lasting effect to the environment, especially if it is done over water lenses. Right. So this is what we, the, the scale of it um, is, is somewhat unknown based on lack of data. Mm -hmm. And this is why we are taking the, the step to ensure that there are legislation to govern how these pesticides are used, or they're handled, mm -hmm. or they are distributed, mm -hmm. how they are stored, and that the persons that are using them, they are trained, they are mm -hmm. certified, mm -hmm. and they are given that nod of approval by an entity mm -hmm. that is so configured to ensure that these practices are adhered to. Right. Um, and for people who might not understand why pesticides are so harmful, um, this is one of the things that interests me a lot, is actually how pesticides work in our food web systems. Right. So say if an insect was to be sprayed with a pesticide and then they got eaten by a bird and then that bird got eaten by a bigger bird, which then maybe got eaten. I know we don't have bears here or anything, but like for the sake of it, a Cayman Islands bear, mm -hmm. you know, they got that got eaten. The buildup of pesticides inside the bodies of these animals builds, builds, builds to get to a level of toxicity where you can't. You can't survive anymore. And then something, somebody like a human, human might eat that. And then suddenly it's in our body. So it's a buildup of pesticides in the environment, over water, many different ways that can cause a lot of issues that way. Do you have anything to add on that? Um, yeah, I, complete, I completely agree with, um, mm -hmm. with what Demois said. Um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, if we can regulate herbicides, pesticides, mm -hmm. overuse of fertilizers, all, all that stuff, um, I think we, yeah, we can minimize the harm to the environment. Um, and I think... Yeah, in terms of what we can do farming-wise to, to, to sort of embrace nature and improve mm -hmm. soil quality. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, diversification, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And as, as Demois already said, we just don't have those large monocrops in Cayman. Partly, mm -hmm. we don't have the space in Cayman. Like, yeah. We just don't have the space mm -hmm. for those huge, um, yeah, single crops where they're just over-tilled and over-plowed and just, I mean, just rinse of fertilizers and mm -hmm. pesticides and, and all the chemical products as well um inorganic materials put, put plowing into the land and of course that also over tillage releases carbon into the atmosphere mm. whereas what we want to be doing is carbon fixing mm -hmm. right we you know soil brings carbon draws down carbon from the atmosphere so we want to encourage all of that we want to work with nature rather than against it mm -hmm. um embrace uh, diversification of farming um so rather than things like a single crop like monoculture mm -hmm. want to have encourage oligoculture polyculture um different different things grown in the same space or intercropping where you've got or agro agroforestry where we've got trees and um different plants mixed in with the crops yeah. all in the same space that's what i was thinking of my little biodiversity mm -hmm. exactly yeah. yeah increased biodiversity and of course that would help the pollinators yeah. we want uh -huh. more pollinators we want um yeah. the more the, the you know biodiverse biological diversity means more animals more plants microorganisms bacteria fungi mm -hmm. all of that um, and it helps soil quality helps the environment generally, mm -hmm. um, helps draw down carbon, um, and it stops the runoff as well. Because I think, you know, with um, desertification mm -hmm. of, of soil, you know, mm -hmm. topsoil, mm -hmm. we, we've lost so much topsoil in the few, last few decades, haven't we? Mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, to right. sort of critical levels. Um, so we need to be protecting the soil. And the mm -hmm. best way to do that is to diversify, mix things up, mm. you know. Yeah. I mean, cool. I'm just so glad that we don't, I mean, I, I you know, in the US, that's just how not how not to do it. It's, just, yeah. it's dangerous. And I think also from a farmer's perspective, it's putting all your eggs in one basket with monoculture. Let's say you've just got an intensive dairy farm. We saw, was it last week, the week before? 18,000 cows went up in flames. I know. Just from oh, a... Oh, awful. 
awful heartbreaking. But again, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking for the animals, the, the environment, all yeah. that carbon. But also for the farmer, he's lost yeah. everything just in a, a single flash. So, so I think, yeah. One, one of the things we have to talk about as well is the control of invasive species. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because um, we're talking about fixing nature. Mm-hmm. When you look here in Cayman, we're talking about problems existing locally. What the iguanas have done, we are, we are grateful for the program that um, government have put in place to manage them. But the feral chickens now is, a, is, a, is mm. another argument, yeah. which is affecting local agriculture. Um, I mean, dis- destroying um, plant species. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? And it wow. is the proliferation of them and the, and the rate at which they are, um, they are breeding. Yeah. And so um, they, has, they have to be controlled, lest you are going to disrupt that balance. Because it is all about balance and it's, it's out of whack balance. right now. Absolutely. We have a it's lot of invasives here, don't we? <laughs> we sure do. But yeah, it, it is absolutely about balance. And I yeah. think, you know, with the diversification and permaculture, mm-hmm. um, where, you've, where you're working with nature, you're embracing or replicating or working with natural ecosystems, mm-hmm. the way that they function, either, either have it there already and just work with it or try and replicate that as best as possible, which is as diverse as possible. So question. So we don't have... We don't do that monotype of crop here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Not at any scale that should 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 alarm anybody. Yeah. Right, okay. and so this kind of takes me to my next question because right now, Cayman relies so heavily on shipping from other countries for food and resources um, that we want to become self-sufficient in terms of our food, right? So we, we're continuing to grow as a country. You know, our population is continuing to go up. Are we in an area where to be able to sustain ourselves, if we, like if metaphorically we just had to cut off all shipping, if there was a hurricane, which there could very well be, and we have a situation where we don't have anything coming in, would we have to go to these mono um, type of, uh, of farming to mm-hmm. be able to support our country? The, the truth is that no country is really food um, so, um, self-reliant. Yeah. Okay. Or, or should we say, have total sovereignty, mm-hmm. because um, because of the needs of people, mm-hmm. people preference, dietary preferences are different. Mm-hmm. So, as a country, you'll cater to those dietary preferences. What we need is that we are food secure. Food secure ah. is that we have food at all times. People have access to the food, the preferences that they want. Yeah. So, availability, access, and how we utilize the food. We, we have it and it's and it's stable it's at a consistent um you know we have it when we want it so the question is his cayman food secure yes and yes how can we the, do the, tr- the truth is that we are food secure in a large in a large um point because we can afford to buy what we want however that security is vulnerable because as you say, the ships should stop come mm-hmm. and we are importing over 82% of what we consume from one source. That's a lot. From one source. <laughs> from only that, one too. <laughs> that is not total importation. They are importation from other sources. Mm. Um, but what we, what we are doing, what the ministry is doing, and the government is doing of the day, as one of its broad outcomes to bolster Cayman Islands food security. So. Um, tremendous resources have been put into agriculture, significant investment, mm-hmm. and that is to um, develop programs such as a local cattle breeding program mm, okay. to bring in um, cattle that has that can resist the kind and, and naturally fit the kind of environment where we can um, improve the local gene- um, genetics. Mm. It is to support backyard guard farming by providing grant support. It is to um, increase the capability of the agriculture society to better serve the local farmers that they become more resilient it is also to government to put in the different programs that can significantly increase agricultural production that we can drive down importation to to levels in certain commodities because we as i said never truly be food sovereign Mm -hmm. because of our size one and what can grow within this area Mm -hmm. but what are the crops that we can identify we know that we we do seasoned peppers we know we do mangoes we do we do avocados we know we do the tubers they grow here well the cassavas the sweet potato how can we encourage the production of these to sustainable levels that we can drive down importation significantly for example the government of the day is driving a program called the National Lake Strategy, which seeks to 
increase um, the production of local table eggs oh. by 100% over the next four years. Oh. And, and, and this is by sourcing the, the equipment that, that, that is needed and providing the, the different inputs to the farmers that will sustain production um, to, to the levels that are being targeted. And the program is going well. They have recruited a, 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 a poultry specialist mm. that is driving the, the science behind it. So it's, it's not just producing, but in a scientific, well-researched way yeah. that will, as I said, minimize disruption to the environment, but you are getting the production. The farmers are getting the profit they so desire. So everybody's happy and they are meeting the safety, the food safety quality standards that the consumer can be confident and the buyers and yeah. the distributors, they can be satisfied that what they are buying, it is not compromised and is of equal or greater, um, you know, safety standards to that of where we are importing from. And just to make it clear, because I actually have had some people ask this question, but we can't eat the chickens on the side of the road, right? Well, I, I personally <laughs> wouldn't would, would encourage, encourage them to be eaten because they're... We don't know what they have right, in terms of diseases disease. or okay. whatever. Yeah. But if they're in a controlled space, yeah. And what we use this word purged. Yeah. A, 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 a purging. A purging. <laughs> they, they can. They can. Right. I grew up eating um, these chickens. Okay. And and the eggs, which is said to be much more nutritious than the ones that we have from the commercial layer birds. Yeah. So, but it has to be controlled. Okay. Interesting. Um, do you have anything to add to that? In relation to the, the the food security, yeah, um, we rely so heavily on shipping. Yeah, sure. But what would it be an issue for us to then try and if we were to, as you, I think you you explained it very well, but I don't know if you, you really have anything else to add. Uh, yeah, I think I would add that um, I think COVID is a perfect example to show us how vulnerable uh -huh. and fragile our food supply systems are. Yeah. Um, yeah, food food security is a is a thing. It's a big thing, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a it's a it's a delicate balance. There's no there's no one simple answer because as you said Bella we, you know in terms of the growing population just mm -hmm. globally mm -hmm. it's just growing exponentially um, and we need to feed people people mm -hmm. need food mm -hmm. um, and you know the odd backyard farmer is that's not it's not going to cut it overall um, but I think for, for Cayman it would be absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant if you know we've become a little bit more self-sufficient and more mm -hmm. sustainable mm -hmm. um, rather than relying so heavily on imports because of course that comes with the cost it, mm -hmm. it drives up the cost of prices with the import um, import yeah. prices and the you know global fuel fuel prices are going up, uh, yeah. which means production costs are going up, which means the end consumer prices increasing. So yeah. I think we're only going to ever pay more, more, more. It's just going to increase the cost. Um, plus, it's I think like we said before in America in the in the states they do heavily spray with well they the land is heavily tilled anyway, so it's it's less nutrient. Uh, nutritious, the, the the soil is less nutrient dense, and the rhizosphere right. of the, the the root zone of the plants. You know, it's a it's a it's a delicate chemical balance, and I think anything can get that out of kilter. Um, so I think we're importing foods from the U.S. It's not only it's, it's expensive; it's a vulnerable su supply chain. Yeah. Um, but also, we're getting foods that are not only been sprayed with fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides, but also then they're pumped with preservatives so because a lettuce is not meant to literally look the same three Stay weeks green. later that's yeah. not normal right and the truth so. is that while if the, the more they're traveled the more miles on the travel of the food the more nutrient is lost absolutely it's but, true but, but let me just say that um and this is a this is a big um news break for cayman mm. is that the cabinet has approved the cayman islands food and nutrition security policy Fab. this has been a policy in the working for over a decade so it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to COVID, why this policy came about. Uh, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Oh, it was already so it was in the works. Um, persons can go on the, the government website, the, the, the Ministry of Planning, Agriculture, Housing, Infrastructure page, and you can see um, the, the policy there. You can pull it down, read it. And we have a um, PR campaign that the ministry will be pushing that will be, you'll see stuff about the policy we will be ensuring that persons know what it is and what are the benefits to the Cayman and people. And it will be the overarching document that will drive agriculture in the jurisdiction for the next 15 years. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And so I, I reached out to a friend of mine who is very much in touch with this whole 
agriculture situation and cares a lot about it. And she actually had a question for you guys as well that actually has to do with it's it's for the people. But what methods do you suggest to revitalize agriculture in Cayman that still include older generations? So the farmers that we see at farmers markets um, instead of maybe our more fancy as you know, primitive greens, we've had them on the podcast before, incredible stuff, but I'm not sure if that's well suited to the older generations. There's a lot of technology. Not that they couldn't do it. You can definitely teach old dogs new tricks. No way about that. But um, agriculture is such an important part of our heritage, so it's important to preserve that. I, does that make sense? Like, how can we keep our older generations involved without losing them? So just to give a little data, in 2015, there was a study done for the food and nutrition security policy. Um, it revealed that Cayman, the average age of a Caymanian farmer is 55. Okay. So we think that that um, eight years have you now passed. Yeah. There has been no significant um, participation from the youth population in agriculture. So we right. could say that this average age have, might have moved up to 60. Wow. While this might sound um, high in other places, even America and Pennsylvania, their average age is 65. Australia have a higher average age. But we're not taking comfort. What we're doing from a ministry level is to introduce a program we call um, Youth in Agriculture Program. Okay. So we have provided grant funding to now introduce and support nas a national school garden program in schools where we're providing um, $1,000, Cayman dollars, to primary schools and $1,500 to high schools annually. Once they apply, the application form is there, reach out to the ministry, we'll send you the package to support that. Um, how can we make agriculture more innovative? And that's one of the mandate of this present um, ministry um, and what our minister have been driving, that we modernize, continue to modernize agriculture. Yeah. What are the inputs that are gonna make the youth population, and, and not just youth, but what we are seeing is that there's a low participation from women and this is this is not just Cayman, it's globally so the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, FAO, they are driving that. So in, in most of our programs, for example, we have a land lease program that we are designing a policy, a part of that policy, and, I, and I'm preempting, being preemptive here, is that there will be portions of lands that will be designated just for women and youth. Oh, wow. So to ensure that we have participation and involvement and there's inclusion, and we know, for example, you mentioned primitive green, yeah. which um, we have seen where that vertical agriculture, um, that control environment agriculture, because of the level of innovation that is involved, the youths will, will gravitate to it. But there are other forms of agriculture which can give you, which are maybe not as um, cost prohibitive right. as that, which can involve youths, um, precision agriculture, um, protect agriculture like your greenhouses, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So there are many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, container farming. So there are different ways that can be used. And we're, and, and one of the things is that with YouTube and, and the proliferation of information is now available, you can basically access um, information anywhere. Personally, I've known, I know youths currently here that are doing hydroponics in their backyard, I want in that. their houses. <laughs> you know, so there's a wow. lot, there's a lot being done. We're looking at different system, for example, to growing further animal yeah. feed because all of it is imported or most of it, maybe 98% from the US. How can we now look to grow further in hydroponics, you know, and stuff like that? So there's a, there's a number of things that we are looking at that over the year, over the years to come within this food security policy, we'll achieve the target of having a large um, exodus towards agriculture from our youth population. Interesting. Do you have anything? Oh, it's fantastic. I yeah. do. So I read the policy. I read the draft. I yes. didn't know that that's been approved, actually. I didn't know that that's been approved in its final version. I think it's brilliant. Like, I, I think it says all yeah. the right things and it's it's going in exactly the right direction. I know. I, I'm going to have to def... I'm looking forward to reading that as well. It's a brilliant read. So, and, yeah. with having to now, we want to start providing things that we don't have to import. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that we're going to have to have a need for preserving lands for agricultural use? Um, and um, oh, what are the obstacles of that? Is that is that an issue? We can start either side, whoever feels comfortable. Uh, so, yeah, so um, I think, like I said before, I don't think we should be clearing vast swathes of land for agriculture. That does That's not necessary just to clear everything out the way and till the land and just make it 
just one thing. Solution. Yeah, it's not. That's not. That's not sustainable. sustainable. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the very definition of sustainable would be: can we keep doing something consistently at that level mm-hmm. successfully? And the answer is no. Like, it, you know, I mean, I mean, not here generally with farming techniques. So, as as um, as already said, you know, improv- innovation is really important um, and a whole different approach like a holistic approach for example if we can i mean this is this is a little bit idealistic but um, if we can go back to indigenous peoples who were so so knowledgeable and cared so much for their land and worked with nature to the extent that it worked for them mm-hmm. so if we look after the earth it'll look after us yeah so i think yeah innovation is really important um attracting young people to to the industry mm-hmm. um i mean generally agriculture uh, the, as as Demois already said, the average age is very high generally yeah, in in yeah. most countries because young people, you know, get attracted by technology and move to cities that sort of thing. Um, but uh, innovation, I mean, I, I've been to primitive mm-hmm. grains. I've I've looked around the container farms. Oh my goodness, mind blowing! <laughs> I was just I was so inspired. I was just yeah. I think I said wow probably like <laughs> every time I was showing something different. So yeah, meeting Cody and Kerry and everything's controlled from the phone, the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And they've got back up and um, yeah, so I think innovation like that is just is key. I mean, of course, like Demois already touched on, that's cost prohibitive for a lot of people. The startup costs are really expensive with the technology, the heavy te- technology input. Um, but as another example, for aside from hydroponics, aeroponics, you know, all, all futuristic things like that. It's mm-hmm. futuristic to me anyway when I walk around. Um, but also beacon farms. I've been to Beacon Farms, had a tour. Lovely model, composting, oh, reclaiming land. I'm obsessed with it's, that place. It's beautiful. And there's also the, the movie, um, which I would recommend, Beacon Farms at Kamana Bay Cinema, every Wednesday, 6.30. Wonderful. Oh, it's brilliant. So yeah, I learned so much. And That's a great idea. And they're, oh, they're fantastic. And obviously the benefit of that as well is it's creating jobs and it's also keeping people um, busy and giving them a focus because they're, they're, I don't, they're, uh, employment, they're, their employees are all recovering from yeah. addictions so it's just a fantastic Social project is, is it really right. is it really is just a fantastic project um very inspiring okay and they're setting aside some land for orchards and they're and they're doing exactly what i would love to see mm-hmm. more farms doing they're they're incorporating diversification they're not just setting one area aside for this and then one area aside for that. They're in, they're mixing everything up. So you've got the papayas in with the dragon fruits and then you've got ah. the tobacco leaves right near the seasoning peppers. Integrated and, farming. Oh, that, yeah, exactly. Integrated farming, diversification, nature friendly, environmentally friendly. And they only use, and I'm not paid by them. I'm I was like, going to say. This <laughs> is not an ad. I'm not on commission. We but just love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's organic. So they don't use any synthetic or inorganic you know, fertilizers or you know uh, fossil fuel based fertilizers they use um organic uh, biological fertilizers and some of them target for example only caterpillars mm. and they're fine because it goes up into the irrigation system the, these uh, these he- pesticides and they go up into the fer- irrigation system into the food produce but it's absolutely harmless to humans but it just targets caterpillars like huh. i think it's called dipel that one um but uh, things like that you know so it's it's and because they're they're not synthetic they're 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 organic Mm -hmm. so it's you know from byproduct from bacteria Mm -hmm. chemical processes like that so it's all natural Mm -hmm. um i love to see it and (laughs) setting aside an area for orchards they're doing sweet sop sour sop beautiful red fruit oh they're doing fantastic things there i'd really recommend a visit so these kinds of methods are i guess overcoming the obstacle of maybe using this land for just agricultural purposes and now integrating it is a one way one of the op you know we don't want to just knock it down and knocking it down has that's one of the obstacles is the, the, the ball what's the word the um the risks you take with doing mm-hmm. like that uh-huh. the land sure. right so you would that you would agree that that's more futuristic things and using these methods is a way well, to overcome them i i agree um one of the cries of the farming community is access to more agricultural lands well, land preserve yes. our cultural lands. yes we cannot deny the fact that urban sprawl is increasing so, so we are seeing more lands, whether they whether they are marginal lands being converted or for housing, mm. more lands are being used. Mm. It means there are less land available for agriculture. However, as as um, Anna said, there has to be a mix of how we use the land. Um, so it's not just a commercial um, pur- purpose where we are going to go in and clear everything. But how can we within these spaces? practice agriculture at minimal disruption. Like what we are seeing at Beacon Farms and reclaiming 
and what many farmers are practicing here too. Um, one of the things is that we have to see the importance of backyard farm, backyard spaces. Um, and this many backyard might have a 10 by 20 feet space at the back. That's a huge space. You can grow your condiments, you can grow your seasonings, you can grow tubers in. I went, I saw, I saw this farmer and he was growing um, sweet potato in tires. That's cool. And he reaped 30 pounds of sweet potato. So in, in, and it was like three car tires stuck together with soil in it. So what it's saying is that we do not need large acreage to have an impact at the home level. Right. And, and, and that's one of the programs that the government had did in COVID, which over 1,600 1600, 1600 persons applied and were benef beneficiaries of the, of the farmer's grant. And that has spiked an interest where we had registered just over um, 500 farmers on Ireland. Now we're over 926 farmers registered as a result of that program. So we are, that's almost 100% increase. That's really impressive. So that, that is significant. That is when we share that data with CARICOM, that was, that was tremendous to have moved the interest of agriculture from having registered farmers of over 500 to over 900 persons. Wow. So there are things that are happening. And, and, and again, I, I go back to this policy because, as you said, it's a beautiful read. But it's a great document that once it is implemented, monitored and evaluated in the correct way, which the ministry, that is what it's focused on, yep. it will produce the, the, the outcomes that it and the benefits to the, to, the, to the people of the Cayman Islands. So speaking a bit more about this, I read um, some of the draft questions that came from, I think, one of the meetings that you had, one of the public consultations. Um, and so climate change has a potential to impact agriculture here in many ways, right? And if it isn't already <laughs> doing so, I don't mm -hmm. know if maybe you have some examples of it already doing so um, here. But how will the new food and nutrition policy align with sustainability and climate resilience from the get-go? So again, it's our farming practices. We have to ensure that uh, minimal disruption or disturbance or effects around the environment. Mm -hmm. It is to do things like what we see the National Tree Planting Program is doing. Mm. Plant trees which are able to sequester um, lots of carbon. It is how we move to more um, less carbon producing um, productions. For example, the growing of more small stock, what we call small stock, the growing of goats and sheep and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Okay. Moving from a more focused um, cattle growing. And, and, and I know cattle is very dear to Cayman mm -hmm. and it's, it should not be, at, it's not an alarming level because we just have about less than 1,500 cattle on island. So mm. that is not a lot. Sorry. So we are not the ones that are causing the big problems within the, the bigger space. What's the climate But change? we are the ones that feel the effect in this region well, because, as you know, we have had over 23 um, hurricanes in the last um, two decades. And many of these, the, 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 the intensity of it, it has disrupted our, our economy. Well, not came on to a large scale. But they, they, when you quantify the effect of them, it's more than some countries' GDP. Mm. But um, the, 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 it has to be that from a technical support standpoint, from, from ministry, from the Department of Agriculture, that we continue to provide ways in which that are climate friendly, what we call climate smart agriculture, ah. more precision based agriculture. We are not just, for example, irrigating. There's a limited supply of fresh water in the world not just doing wholesale watering, but how can we provide the water to the direct needs of the plant at the root of the plant and not watering where no water is so needed? Yeah. How can we maxim maximize the use of mulch and stuff like that to retain moisture? How can we reduce, as again, tillage? How can we use um, less high grazing systems that are going to provide um, more opportunities for soil erosion, or can we increase ground cover, cover cropping, that sort of a thing. So it's, 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 a fa it's, it's, it's farmer education. Mm. It's having these farmer field schools where we are going to teach, having centers of excellence develop where they can come to see and they can go back to practice, that sort of a thing. Right, and that will allow us to advance our agricultural agricultural technologies and will allow, I guess, our farmers a spot on the global market rather, rather than just, and, and the entire region, right? That's, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, what we're going for, right? I think so too. And, and yeah, so going back to the, um, the land clearance and that all ties in with the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the policy all going in the same direction. Um, but in terms of land clearance, um, yeah, we should definitely avoid clearing 
trees and mangroves. Mm -hmm. If yeah. we have to clear other land, then you know less less precious resources, if you can say it like that. Um, but certainly not trees and mangroves because of the carbon sequestration, mm -hmm. and um, but also they stabilise the soils, protect us from hurricanes and storm surges, all of that. Um, all the benefits of mangroves, of course, and the transpiration from the leaves and the nurseries. Right. And oh my gosh, the list goes on with Well, that actually brings me on to a question that I actually have mm. for you, Anna, as I know Des Moines uh -huh. be able to respond to this one. Mm -hmm. But our central mangrove wetlands are a really important uh, meteorological source for agriculture. You know, we have our big old clouds, every that, that, that tunnel of clouds that comes from our mangrove that holds that rain that comes from our central mangroves. Absolutely. So, how do you think that maybe this east west arterial road? could affect it if it goes ahead. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, no, I understand um, that the Moy, the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> slightly conflicted. Um, so, yeah. Um, After you finish, I, I, I'm, <laughs> going to add, I'm going to add a point to it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's no, there's no sort of one, uh, you know, there's not only one answer to this. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, with the benefits of mangroves, I'm sure that, I know that you've had um, Cass, Yes, Cass. Yeah, so she's yeah. been on and, and she does amazing things with the mangrove rangers and Martin. And we lay, as, as part of my um, role with Sustainable Keman and with Melanie Carmichael, who heads up the organization charity. And we work closely with the mangrove rangers, um, who, you know, Martin McKee, he's absolutely, he's, he's just the mangrove man. He knows everything he's about fun. mangroves. Um, and Cass does as well. So, and yeah, so mangroves, you know, they protect us from storm surges, um, they protect us from. Uh, the winds, they stabilise the ground, they stabilise the um, coastal ecosystems, they are a nursery for the birds and insects and sharks and fish yeah. and all, all, you know, all life. Um, <clears throat> so we should avoid um, taking mangroves out if we possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, with the East Arterial Road, um, you know, and sorry, going back to what you were saying about the, you know, the transpiration from the leaves and it, it produces much of the rainfall in the west side of the island here because it comes up from the central mangrove wetlands, moves across with the prevailing winds from the east, the Atlantic, and then dumps it on Georgetown and West Bay. So, right. you know, we get a lot of the rain um, from the mangroves. Um, but uh, yeah, if we can, if and with the with the central, you know, the east-west arterial road, um, Yeah. Road. I mean, I absolutely appreciate that. It's, the cost is phenomenal. Yeah. But is it worth it? Yeah. Uh, but because uh, it's it's a sort of a dichotomy. You've got you know yes, you've got on the one balance. hand. Yeah, it really. Have is. a real problem of um, uh, traffic, etc. Tra oh, and no one wants to sit on the no road one for two hours. Stay. I absolutely get that. What should be a twenty-minute journey yeah. from Savannah, or you know, half an hour from Bod to so that's just unsustainable. There has to be a balance. There yeah. absolutely is, and, and and there is a need for a road. There is no one. Everyone's sitting about. in that traffic yeah. for I don't know an hour and a half, two hours every morning from Northside, East End, Bodden yeah. Town, Savannah, Newlands. It's horrendous. Yeah. But you know, setting your alarm, I don't know, an hour or two earlier than you need yeah. to, just so that you can sit in that mundane like <laughs> nose to nose traffic, nose to you know top tail traffic. It's just horrendous. So there is a need for a road, clearly. But also we want to mitigate the effects of climate change and become more resilient. So what we don't want to do is pour concrete on everything, take yeah. out the mangroves that protect our islands yeah. and, and then pour concrete because that would you know, increase the flooding risks. Yeah. Um, and also it takes out the mangroves, which also increase flooding risks. You've got an impermeable surface yeah. and then you take out the coastal protection from the mangroves. Yeah. You've seen those, I'm sure everyone listening will have seen those mangrove simulators where you've got the sea and then the bank and then the mangroves and then inland. And then when you do the sort of push the waves, you know, we've all seen, I think, those simulators yeah. to show the buffer of the mangroves. So I think I would love to see at least either a diversion, if we can't build a road above them, like a raised, I don't know what you call it, like a flyover type thing, you know, I mean, the, the engineering that goes into that is mm -hmm. very complex and it comes with its own issues. I understand that. And the clearance in order just to do that mm -hmm. would, they're, you know, inevitable, inevitably some mangroves will be um, removed. Um, it's a fine balance. So, if, but if yeah. we can't build a raised road, then at least if we can steer away from the central mangrove wetlands as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And I understand the human need. It's the same with agriculture. You know, the growing population. We need to feed people. Exactly. There's, you know, we're importing people and cars onto this island at a very fast rate. <laughs> uh, like it's 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 probably unsustainable at at the moment mm -hmm. um, unless we cap the number of cars or. But I mean, of course, with the 
Oh, public transit. I'm all about that. Well, I use the buses as much as I possibly right. can, but I understand there are limitations. It doesn't go into Every Newlands. And it, always on time, yeah, all sorts of stuff. absolutely. And we need a schedule. We need a centralised bus service that's reliable. Um, yeah, so certainly um, public transportation, um, but just, I think, building an extra road off of what's already there and then feeding into the same bottleneck at Hurley's, mm-hmm. Grand Harbour. It, like overall, yeah, the journey time to Grand Harbour will probably be reduced. Mm-hmm. But overall, from if you're coming from East End, Bodden Town, Northside, Savannah, New, anywhere mm-hmm. east of Grand Harbour, I think you've still got to get through that bottleneck. So yeah. that's one of the main issues we need to solve. I don't have an I'm not. Yeah, no, no, no. That's yeah, your I'm, not I'm not an engineer. It, so. I'm not a specialist. I don't, I'm not that's, a roads yes. expert. Yeah. But just in my opinion, that bottleneck needs to be solved before. Yes. Like, yeah. at least at the same time, because otherwise we're not going to achieve anything at all. And we're just going to destroy mangroves and have more cars. Mangroves, which then in turn hurts our agriculture. 100%. Which in turn, right. And I think we, it's a proven track record uh, globally that if we build more roads, we're just going to get more cars. That's true. It just, it's just a snowballing effect. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really difficult one. I, I obviously absolutely understand that people mm-hmm. do not want to be sat in two hours of traffic. Right. Watch, you know, for a journey that takes 25 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, can we do it in a way? Let's get a new road in the least harmful what path. Yeah, path that possible. sustainably into the future, right? A- absolutely. Right. I think sustainability. And yes. I think just if we can stay clear of the mangroves. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm very <laughs> obsessive. Man. I love that. But thank you for it. Thank you for just, that. Just leave the mangroves. <laughs> Demoy, what was your Please. point on that? Yeah, I made it mm. that there, mm. there has to be a balance. Just as ah. with farming, where it has to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the cries of the people, oh, that's yeah. one thing that government have to, mm-hmm. to, to, to address. And the cries of the environmentalists mm-hmm. and the lobbyists is something that will have to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm confident that whatever solution that will be taken, there will there will be one. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so as I said, I stay away from this subject because I'm not a subject here, a specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and but, I must say yeah. likewise as well. <laughs> Full disclosure, I am no yes. <laughs> engineering expert, but uh, okay, it's a it's a it's a really difficult one, and I really don't. I envy know. the position of politicians. And I was about to say, I really have I'm not in charge. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the decision maker in this, but um, I think every voice needs to be heard. Yes. People sitting in traffic, the environmentalists, yes. everyone. Of course. I think it's just a fine balance. Same with yes. nature, same with agriculture. Yeah. Everything is a very, very delicate balance. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, just going, just one other point I wanted to yeah. make on the land clearance. Sure. So, um, so with Beacon Farms, like they, they've got this new Italian rock crushing machine, a Valentini. So we're obviously on a on a rock. We're mm-hmm. it's you know the trench and the, the ridge came and the Cayman Ridge. Um, so we're mainly situated on rock, which is not fertile. So in order to make fertile soil for agriculture, what they've got is this um, a very very advanced uh, rock crusher. Oh. So it's a it's a great piece of technology, and it uh, it doesn't till it doesn't damage the uh, the land. It, it just crushes up the rock mm-hmm. and then into a fine powder which also has nutrients in it but of course you can't plant things in rock so you know with the together with the fine powdered rock they mix it with compost, compost and organic fertilizers to make a nutrient nutrient dense soil wow, that's so cool. and it's very innovative and they're, mm-hmm. they're lending that that machine to other other farmers who would like to do the same thing and it, otherwise it's just too difficult to find an area Unless you're planting in a greenhouse, so or something. again, it's about innovation and, and using Absolutely. the kind of space you almost already have and the, the things. Absolutely, you have. and and you know as well, ring fencing from pests. We were talking about the chickens, and at, mm-hmm. uh, I mean at Beacon Farms, you can literally see all of the. They've got agoutis and peacocks and mm-hmm. chickens and all sorts of uh, pests, and just ring fence that off. Yeah, just but but all in a in a yeah. If we can diversification, yeah. intercropping, all of that good stuff uh, okay. mixed with protecting the land but not clearing the mangroves and you know crushing rock mm-hmm. is just such a fantastic a fantastic way forward mixing it with compost and they use um brown and green waste and cardboard to to make the compost that they mix in with the yeah powdered rock and the fertilizers. so interesting mm-hmm. that's such a cool innovative way yeah it's it's yeah and then you know i think if a lot of farmers i think as demois already said backyard farming is for sure, the way and forward. And that's actually my next is, question, mm-hmm. is actually about backyard farming. And I've, the question was, would you recommend people start their own backyard farm? But I feel like now that is definitely <laughs> a recommendation, yeah. right? We're both going to say The gains of it is, um, is well known, mm-hmm. well researched, 
I've been in a in a in a economy before where backyard caused the sector to grow by thirty percent. Backyard wow. farming, the promotion of backyard farming, and it's not just the, the the effect on GDP, but it's the effect on the quality of life and what you consume. You know what mm-hmm. you're eating. Mm-hmm. It, they are nutrient rich because you are doing it. You know you are using less pesticide. The food is less traveled. You know, so the, the, the impact of it is great and it doesn't take any great science to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, insects, pests tend to be drawn to something in a large um, volume. So when you go and disrupt an era and acres and you plant, remember that insects were there before you came. Exactly. So what you're calling pests, it's their home. However, there is a multiplication of those. And even use pesticide, it's well known that at least 5% of the population will not die. Yeah. And they are going to resurge. And the pesticide that you use will not have any impact on them or little or no impact. So backyard gardening has to be, in the Cayman context, one of the ways in which we can achieve high levels of food security. And it's something that every home should be on board. It should be a part of, um, if it's not, mm-hmm. um, housing policies, um, if not, um, persons who are building these communities should leave space for community garden. As I mentioned earlier about that, I practice urban ecology. And when you look into the New York um, con- context, Chicago, these are big municipalities, large cities. We're seeing where they're doing um, rooftop gardening. We're seeing where they're doing community gardens, where churches are getting involved, using spaces. I went to, to, to this place in Gary, Indiana, where there were blights. And you know, it was one of the heavy steel um, production towns or cities. Yeah. And a lot of lands were left with blights. And we saw where the community went in and they started to do little orchards with, with, the, with these lands and a lot of food producing and then they give it to the people in the community. So there has to be ways in which the churches, the community as a whole, the community groups come together and now we can use different, um, different um, plots that are left bare, or can we now grow, you know, grow particular crops and, um, and, 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 and feed our people, reduce the food bill significantly? And this will bring gardens. the price of De- definitely. these kinds definitely. of stuff down. Because right now people, you know, I go buy a cucumber and I'm like selling my arm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> stuff you know, like that. You end if up you choosing from your one pepper, thing to the other day. Your thyme, your escalion. You can grow your callaloo, your 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 um your bok choy, bok choy, whatever you yeah, call it. Yeah. It means that you don't have to buy that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're providing your greens, you're providing, you know, your your condiments, your spices, etc. Mm-hmm. The only thing you might can grow is your rice. Right. And people are not <laughs> eating much rice anymore either <laughs> right. way. But there are things that you can do. You can do your tubers to provide healthy starch, which another problem within the Cayman space is the high levels of obesity and what is considered overweight, which puts a significant um, dent on, on health care. Yes. And, and this policy seeks to address not just food, mm. but also nutrition, mm-hmm. yeah. because that's a big elephant in the room that mm-hmm. must be discussed and talk about, if not here, but certainly in other spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, back, backyard farming, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just got so many benefits. Um, yeah, and, and health, exactly as you had. I was yeah. going to say mental health is Mental health, too. It yeah. really is. Nature is <laughs> proven to yes. be good for the mental health. Um, yeah, being in nature and, and growing your own thing. It, you know what's in it. You yep. don't, there's nothing nasty in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen it grow. And in fact, when I went to um, the hydroponics farm with Kerry and Cody, um, they were saying all the kids, they do school trips mm-hmm. there. And what would they would normally, you know, sort of turn their nose up at salads and things, but they're loving it. They're all eating the leaves off the <laughs> off the <laughs> off the vertical hydroponic walls, and they they love it. They literally and Cody will say it's amazing. It's got only good stuff in it, and it tastes like the best lettuce in the world. And all the kids eat it, mm-hmm. and they go, "That's amazing." And obviously, they never normally eat lettuce. Yeah. So I think just raising that awareness, and I think with the younger generation watching things grow and having an input into that. It sort of educates, but also it's and, great. And spur the interest. It yeah, was from the interest in living on a subsistence farm where I practice agriculture. Yeah. I taught my daughter to count, to identify colors from my backyard garden. Really? Brilliant. So, so there, there's, it's multidimensional. The benefits of it yeah. is, is, is unimaginable. And, and, and like Demoy already said, even if it's on a very, very, very small scale, yeah. I mean, just even growing one herb, basil, anything, 
mm. one herb yourself or a little trough or a little allotment you know you mm. can scale up um, and of course you know there are back loads of backyard farms and it's here, fixed in carbon too it literally carbon. is this is all big win-win and yeah and it's, <laughs> it's lowering our yeah, personal because yeah. obviously in the Caribbean like Demoy's already said from our agriculture we don't produce too much carbon because there's just not big cattle ranches and yeah. big crops and you know, soil tilling all that all that um you know harmful harmful practices so in terms of our agriculture we don't give off too much carbon if you know mm-hmm. but we, we feel the effects of climate change but we're not the biggest um, emitters of carbon however our overall carbon footprint per capita mm-hmm. is not good mm-hmm. like we've got five times the global average of but i mean apart from anything we, we can't there's some things we can't do about that yeah. being a small island of course yeah. we need to import a lot yeah. so that's going to raise our our carbon footprint quite a lot but um if there's any possible way even a little way that we can reduce our carbon footprint mm-hmm. per capita Let's do so it. By just having your own little backyard situation yeah. going on. I mean, I would say go yeah. your own hydroponics. There's a they do their starters. Starters. They're kits. quite expensive. They're so They're expensive. expensive. I'm sorry, ALT, <laughs> but ALT, I got $160 for a tiny starter kit to grow a couple little basil. I thought I'm, I, as much as I love hydroponics. There are other ways to start. <laughs> right. I feel like everyone's done it in in a sense because you know when you run out of lettuce and you clip the end and it sort of grows back, you just stick it in a glass of water or your celery wilts yeah. or you know the end and you just stick it in and it grows. That's hydroponics. Yeah, exactly. To a very growing in a soilless medium. Exactly. Well, awesome, guys. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this really shows people how interconnected all these things are together. How the environment's connected to agriculture. Agriculture's connected, obviously, to health and nutrition but that's connected to uh, climate change and like how all of the, we're like a big tree that's how i see the, the universe is we're all a big tree and a branch off of it so kind of to close us out here if people want to get involved if people want to find the policy uh, is it out to be read now can some can you go yes. read it okay where can they find that um so it's to go on the um cig website came as a government website and on the page for ministry of um, planning agriculture was an infrastructure and you can see the policy and you can read it you can email the ministry um, you can email myself mm-hmm. demoy.nash um, at gov.ky I'll forward the policy um, also to say that there is a public relation campaign that is going to start in short order so you'll see a lot about the policy a proliferation of information in the space about the policy Wonderful. It's something that is here to stay for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. So stand by, stand by to be soaked with information. <laughs> Wonderful. So that's where you can go to get uh, more information about that. And I will add links to that in the show notes of this today's episode. And guys, thanks so much. It seems like the best way for people to get involved is to be aware of what they're eating, be aware of their diets, try and start their own little backyard farm. Shop local. Shop local, which market. you can do here at the farmer's market, right? Foster's Kirk's even. They, they even have, have local stuff, produce. Right? Yeah, the farmer's market's one. Or you can go to Beacon. Does Beacon have... Yeah, they do have a little farm shop. Okay, you can go well. there. And we have a we have a wealth of farms here on island, really, that you can go. I'll add some down also in the show notes. So thanks, guys, for coming out today and for talking to me about this. Pleasure has been mine, Bella. Uh, absolutely. Likewise, Demoya. <laughs> and um, and another little tip, if anyone is even interested in like just a little bit in what mm-hmm. we've been talking about today, there's a really good documentary on Netflix. It's called Kiss the Ground. Oh, I'd really recommend Kiss it. Kiss the Ground. It basically covers everything we've talked about today. Oh, wonderful. Okay. And especially with the, you know, COP15 and biodiversity yes, yes, and yes. 30 by 30, yes. all of that. Um, yeah, it touches on all, all, the, all of the subjects that we've talked Ooh, about today. It's I'm going to watch that. It's brilliant. It's just about an hour and a half and it talks about everything that we've just talked about today. So, Okay, wonderful. I'll also add yeah. that down below for people. Thank it was you. a real pleasure to come with you today. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. <laughs> I love it, Belle. guys. Thank you. And thank you again to DMS Broadcasting and Bubble 89.1 and my pal Ryan Kirkaldi at Retrospect Media for capturing all of this. Sustainable K-Man is a non-profit organization promoting conservation and environmental sustainability to create a flourishing natural environment and healthy communities. You can follow them on Instagram at SustainableKY and Facebook at Sustainable.KMAN. And thank you to them for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Also make sure to check out their Facebook group called Wetlands Thrive, Life Survives. They have a jingle competition going on right now and you can win some big bucks. So go check that out and make a contribution. And you can also check out our other filmed episodes over on YouTube. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Protecting Paradise KY. And remember that you cannot care about these things unless you know about these things. So thanks for joining us today. And we're always open to your opinion. And we will see you soon. Toodles! Toodles!